Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Zooming In on Hate. I'm your host Jordi Nijnijs and today we have a special episode featuring my co-host Lydia. Lydia recently attended the International Network Against Cyber Hate's annual conference. Inoch brought together experts, activists and thought leaders to tackle the challenges of cyber hate. And she had the privilege of chatting with some of the brightest minds in the field. So join us as we dive into the heart of the fight against online hate, extremism and disinformation, exploring the many insights shared at Inach's annual conference. Without further ado, let's kick off this insightful journey with Lydia Elkouri. Today, I'm really pleased to welcome Louisa Klingbaal from the European Commission, who's joining us on this episode of Zooming In on Hate. Louisa, thank you so much for joining us today. Can we start off by asking you about your role within the European Commission and what are you focusing on right now? Okay, so thank you very much uh, for inviting me to this podcast. So I work in the Fundamental Rights Unit of the uh, Directorate General for uh, Justice. And uh, we work uh, on the one side by, by, with mainstreaming the Charter of Fundamental Rights into all EU policies. Uh, I work in particular with all the digital policies. And we're also in charge of the Commission's policies on hate speech and the framework decision on racism and xenophobia. So since 2016, I've been working with major IT platforms, member states and civil society on the code of conduct on countering illegal hate speech online. Thank you. And, and we're so pleased how the European Union is really leading the world in, in this respect and in, is just going from strength to strength. So can I ask you about how would you define online hate and its various forms from, from your experience? So I think online hate takes very many different forms. Um, sometimes we're told that, oh, hate speech is a concept that is impossible to work with because there is no common definition. Uh, what is it? It's abused as a term. Um, but I don't think that that is particularly correct. It's just a concept that needs to be picked down into its particular um, different parts. So, I mean, first of all, you have the type of hate speech that reaches the criminal law benchmark. So this is when we're talking about incitement to violence and hatred uh, based on protected characteristics that are um, defined uh, either uh, under EU law then implemented uh, in national law or uh, under national law uh, to start out with. Then of course you have the type of hatred or stereotyping of persons or groups also based on their characteristics but that doesn't reach this benchmark and the only difference there is actually how do you deal with it I mean when it comes to hate speech that reaches the kind of criminal law bar I mean I think we can pretty much all agree that it just need to be removed and should be prosecuted if possible. Uh, while this other type of speech we have to simply address through other forms, through counter speech, through civic engagement, uh, we also need to look in the more online environment if 
by virtue of uh, algorithms, this type of speech is being amplified? Is it getting a bigger space than it, so to speak, statistically should have? Um, so, yes, I think these are, are the forms and they need to be addressed differently, but it's still a very workable concept from a policy point of view. And I think it's important to note that you're speaking today in your personal capacity. Uh, definitely, yes. So today I'm talking about my experiences that I have had working with these issues in the European Commission. Um, so I'm not representing the view of the European Commission or an opinion of the European Commission. Thanks very much. So now what... When we're talking about tech companies, you mentioned them, obviously they're a significant player in, in combating illegal hate speech online. What measures do you think tech companies have taken to combat hate speech and how effective do you think they've been? It's a little bit difficult to measure the efficiency because to be quite honest, so far I have never seen anyone show me a number in absolute terms of, you know, there are X million pieces of hate speech in year two and so much fewer or more in year three. These absolute numbers we don't have. Um, what we have seen when I started working with this back in 2015, online hate speech was not really uh, big things on, on everyone's lip. I think back then we were much more concerned about terrorism content and for good reasons, of course. Uh, but with the refugee crisis, the backlash after the, the terrorist attacks in Europe and abroad, uh, hate speech became more and more prevalent and, and really started to move up in the kind of chain of priorities. And that's when we started working with IT platforms to, to tackle this. Um, and what I think really worked has been the collaboration between the platforms and civil society. Um, we um, negotiated a code of conduct with the platforms. And then, of course, we had to find out the way, how do we measure if they perform, if they actually do what they have committed to? And uh, we started doing that with the help of the civil society organizations that on an annual basis um, send notifications about uh, particular pieces of illegal content to the platforms and then look at their responsiveness. Um, and there we saw a very good improvement in terms of the, uh, of the removal numbers, but also in the speed of assessment. Um, but even more so, it started shaping a process where these online platforms content moderation is informed by the expertise from the ground in each and every member states, because hate speech is such a contextual phenomena. I mean, even if you have highly well-trained lawyers 
looking at hate speech content and they're capable of doing the and identifying the legal demarcation line between protected speech and hate speech, you also need to understand the particular environment where it's posted. And there, I mean, the historical linguistic um, context in each member state, each region and down into local level really plays in how hate speech manifests itself. And there, I think we saw the real change when we put civil society together with platforms to, to look at this, to look at this and, and how content moderation decisions could be influenced by this expertise. And it really led the world in that respect. I mean, the code of conduct set the tone for looking at content moderation in, in a very constructive and innovative way. It, it, I think for civil society, it was a, a significant breakthrough to be at the table with tech platforms and, and be part of those conversations. And is it, did it lead to the DSA? Did it influence? How, how much of a role did the code of conduct play in the Digital Services Act? I think it had, um, um, it's difficult to measure, of course, but it certainly played a role. I mean, I think someone counted how many times the code of conduct is mentioned in the DSA, and it's a, quite a good few places. And I think in the DSA, we see today also that it builds on a collaborative approach. It recognizes that content moderation, issues like freedom of expression, fundamental rights online, disinformation, what is true, what is, fall, uh, what is uh, false, all of this you can't solve it top down. It can't be the government that stipulates what is what there. It's a, it requires a societal engagement. We need to reflect all groups in society when... So it's bringing society into the governance of our society. And I think that the code of conduct played a part in that on how such a dialogue can be organized. Because at the end of the day, I mean, we all want engagement, but how do you organize it? And I think that that platform uh, that we created is a good model for, for how this can be done, and which is very much reflected in the DSA, which puts a strong focus on the role of trusted flaggers, on uh, the... Uh, possibilities for external um, uh, scrutiny of um, the policies of the platforms as well as on the codes of conducts that are recognized to continue to play an important role even if we have now hard regulatory rules in place. Excellent, thank you very much. And I'd like to ask you how does the cultural or political context of a country 
influence the prevalence of online hate and, and as a result, the effectiveness of any measures or countermeasures that are taken? Well, <clears throat> I am not a sociologist, um, but what I do know, of course, as we already touched upon, is that the manifestations are very colored by the history, traditions, the political landscape. Um, often hate speech is using code words also to uh, prevent uh, being taken down. Um, so it is for sure there. Um, the how this should influence uh, counter policies, I think this is where we need more research. And I think that the access to vetted researchers um, that is expected to come out of the DSA will potentially be very helpful here because I think that from a sociological point of view, it gives a fantastic possibility to understand hatred, to understand the ecosystem where this type of content is growing and spreading. And maybe through that can we learn more about how to prevent and counter hate because hatred per se is not something new. Every time we see atrocity crimes in this world, we wonder how could this happen again, but it keeps happening again. And there must be a lot that we still have to learn about human behavior and what triggers us towards this type of behavior. So I think there are research opportunities here and, and opportunities for better understanding. And I think civil society and academia welcome the opportunity to do that. I think it's, it's, it's fantastic and it's so innovative. Um, so I, are there other specific policy initiatives or indeed the DSA itself that, that have shown promise in your experience in mitigating online hate and radicalization or extremism or disinformation, any in particular that stand out? I think, I mean, the relentless work of civil society um, is incredibly important because as an individual that is facing hate speech, I mean, you're not going to go against 200 trolls that are going after you. Having civil society there to protect victims, to speak up, uh, for tolerance is incredibly important. So creating an enabling space for civil society is incredibly important. Uh, another thing which I think is important is the opportunities of tech. I mean, before we used to look at tech as, yeah, I mean, either providing social media platforms or uh, we, we have now started to seeing a number of 
tech companies that are really at this kind of cross-world between sociology, psychology, mental health, and computer science that are looking at very interesting evidence-based models also for effective counter-narratives, for instance. I mean, how do you convince people out of a radicalized or extremist uh, narrative? What works, what doesn't work? Um, so I think that's an area that is uh, incredibly interesting to follow, to see where we will come in, in, in a few years. And how do you feel about the future, Louisa? I mean, the European Union has taken great strides in, in implementing the Digital Services Act and their work in countering disinformation. Um, we've got some, some green shoots, some positive positive initial outcomes. How do you feel about it? Um, I think that this brings great opportunities to, again, find this balance. I mean, when we're talking about a, a matter as polarizing as hate speech or disinformation, um, where if it comes to top down, it, it will just be seen as another attempt of the government to tell you uh, what is the right way of thinking. And I think that here the DSA has this advantage of the this broad approach bringing society into the picture, which I think can also give it acceptability, because at the end of the day, that is, that is what we need here. We, we need to shape uh, an online environment where we agree on the rules of engagement, where we consider that our opinions are fairly reflected where we have uh, free speech but also protect uh, minorities or business interests or what have you. So we, we need to bring all these interested parties in and I think that the DSA has the potential of doing this and that could hopefully lead to this internet space where, where we feel that we have a broad consensus on the rules of engagement. And uh, be a safer, more positive space to be indeed. Louisa, thank you so much for joining us on Zooming In on Hate today. That was really, really valuable. And just to reiterate there, your own personal experiences and, and not don't reflect the um, European Commission. Thank you very much and uh, have a great day. Thank you. Thank you.